You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. I want to ask you if you would please to join with me in turning to the book of Colossians, the third chapter, Colossians chapter 3. If you're here visiting with us, we are normally making our way through the Gospel of Matthew on these Lord's Days, but in view of the Thanksgiving holiday, I wanted to take a morning and think together about what it means to be thankful and the importance of it, the necessity of it. And so we read this morning, beginning with the 15th verse of this third chapter, we read to verse 17, Colossians chapter 3, and let's read beginning at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Verse 15 says, and be thankful. Verse 16 says, with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17 says, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's go to our God together and ask His blessing on His Word. We thank You, Lord, for this opportunity we have this day to worship in the company of Your people. Each one of us who knows You, who knows Your Son, we are so grateful for the new life that we have in Him, for the forgiveness of our sins. We've just sung about it, but when we think about standing in the presence of You, the Holy God, before whom the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. We think about standing in your presence and being accepted. We know that it is all of grace. From beginning to end, Lord, if not for the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we would perish. But because of the finished work of our Savior, because of his atoning sacrifice, and because of His perfect righteousness, we are indeed accepted in the Beloved and stand before You always stationed in Your grace. Lord, we desire today to give You worship that is fitting. That includes how we approach Your Word. We need You in this next hour. Lord, would You empower me, be at work in and through me, as your word goes forth, and would you be at work in all of us as we listen to it, strengthening us in our inner man to receive the things that you've revealed in Holy Scripture. What we're asking for, Father, is that the Spirit of God would be our teacher in this next hour. And I pray that the result would be that some would come to know Jesus in salvation, that some would be saved. We realize sitting among us are some who don't know your Son, but we gather as your church, we need this means of grace. We need the regular washing of your word and the, and the public worship gathering and the public proclamation of Scripture. So, Lord, we look to you for our own needs as well, and we will give you thanks for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got to admit to you that this time of year is 
probably my favorite time of year. I realize that Christmas has great significance, and I realize that Easter has great significance, but as you know, we talk about it around here a lot. We celebrate Christmas every day, and we celebrate Easter every day. If not for our Savior coming into the world, and if not for His sinless life and His atoning sacrifice on the cross, if not for His resurrection, we would be without hope. We would be among all people most to be pitied. And so, just as we are not commanded to celebrate Christmas in Scripture, and in the same way we're not commanded to celebrate Thanksgiving as a culture, it's still a good opportunity for us to think about what the Bible does say about grateful hearts, what it does say about giving thanks. While the holiday is not commanded, the attitude is commanded. And just as we celebrate Christmas every day and Easter every day, so we ought to be thankful every day. And that's what we're going to think about together this morning. This is a great opportunity. When we think about the 15th verse and we think about this command, and it is an imperative when Paul writes, and be thankful. Be thankful. That is a command. It's a great opportunity to think about the difference between the commands of God that we violate by commission and the commands of God that we violate by omission. We tend to think, I think, in terms of sin, mostly in terms of commission. We think about ways that we transgress. God says, you shall not, and we do. And so we think about that as sin. What we probably don't think about enough are those commands of God that we are guilty of violating by simply neglecting those commands, not thinking about them as much as we ought to, forgetting those commands, not treating them as a command, more like this is good, this is something that ought to characterize us. We acknowledge that, but do we really stop and think? Our God has commanded us to be thankful. In fact, I think it's a good place for us to begin. Do you think about it that way? Do you consider it an obligation, a God-given obligation to live a thankful life? Do you think about it as a matter of obedience, that God requires us to be thankful? And if we're not living thankful lives with thankful hearts, we're actually living disobedient lives. And do we understand that God doesn't command things that aren't important? God doesn't give commands that are trivial in nature. And so we might ask a question as we begin to think about this together. Is it really important that I live a thankful life? I mean, does it really make a spiritual difference? What kinds of blessings are wrapped up in living my life with a thankful heart? Or conversely, what kinds of spiritual dangers threaten me if right now I'm not living with a thankful heart? If I'm not living a thankful life this moment, what kinds of dangers have I opened my life up to? Is it really important to be thankful? So today we think about this command. Two very simple points, just two points this morning. First of all, we're going to think about the context for this command. And then second, we're going to think about the importance of it. The context for the command and then the importance of the command. The context is found in verses 1 through 17. The verses that precede and the verses that follow put this command in its context for us. And what stands out about the command is that it's 
like everything else in the Christian life, it can only be lived out supernaturally. When he says, and be thankful, he's not talking about something common to men. He's not talking about something that you and I could have lived before the Lord saved us. And the context makes that clear. This is a supernatural kind of thankfulness. This is a salvation-produced thankfulness because the entire section, which is full of indicatives and imperatives, Paul continually is moving from the indicative statements to the imperative statements throughout this section. It's full of statements of fact and statements of obligation, but all of it flows from God's saving work in the lives of His people. In fact, in verses 1 through 17, we see nine new things that you and I experience because the Lord has saved us. What I'm saying to you is there's a kind of thanksgiving that any person can know. Lost people sometimes talk in terms of thanksgiving. I thank the man upstairs, or I thank my lucky stars, or I count my blessings, knock on wood, things are going well. I mean, there's a kind of thanksgiving that just anybody can know, but what he's talking about here is something that only the people of God can know. Notice the nine new things with me very quickly. First of all, we have a new life. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, have you been raised up with Christ? Do you have the testimony that says, I once was dead in my trespasses and sins, but the Lord made me alive together with His Son? I once was in a spiritual grave, but now I've been raised up with Jesus. In fact, positionally, I'm seated with Him in the heavenly places because of God's grace to me. Do you have a new life, a brand new life? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have a new life. Therefore, we have a new ambition. If you have been raised up with Christ, here's the imperative. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Are you living your life with a heavenly trajectory? Are you thinking in terms of eternity? Are you pursuing that which will last forever? We have a new ambition. We have a new focus. Christ, you see, is in the heavens, seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If your ambition has to do with eternity, then your focus needs to be fixed on Christ, on eternity. We have a new focus. We have a new identity. Verse 3 says, For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Brought into this union with the Son of God. As I prayed earlier, we thank God that all of our sins are forgiven, and now we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Our position is stationed in Christ before God. This is why we're accepted in the Beloved. A new life, a new ambition, a new focus, a new identity. Therefore, we have a new hope. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. Looking forward to the day when Christ appears. And when He appears, we will be made like Him, glorified in His presence. This is our sure expectation. We have a new hope. And as a result of this, we're engaged in a brand new mortification. We are called, 
Therefore, having a new life, a new ambition, a new focus, a new identity, a new hope, we are called to be putting to death the deeds of the body until the day that we are glorified. You and I are new creations, but living with unredeemed humanity. Sin is not just outside us, we still battle with sin that is within. And we're no longer slaves to it. We have the Spirit of God. The enslaving power of sin has been broken in our case so that now we have the capacity and the responsibility to be putting to death sin as it appears in our lives. Refusing it, rejecting it, confessing it, repenting of it, choosing obedience instead of sin. Verse 5, therefore, in view of these realities, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sin is what he's talking about. And then he begins to specify the sorts of sins that we are now dead to. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with its evil practices. And on he goes. So these are the sorts of sins that we put to death every day because we really have a new life. We choose to walk in that new course that we will walk in because the Lord has saved us. We also have... um, a new self. And as a result, we are to put on a new dress, a new attire. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his evil practices and have put on the new man. This speaks of what the, the reality of salvation. There was a putting off and a putting on when the Lord saved us. Who we were before Christ is gone. Now we're a new man in Christ Jesus. And that new man is being renewed to a full knowledge, verse 10, according to the image of the one who created him. God brought us into existence. This saved us. God brought this into existence. And there's no distinction in this new man, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. What is the church? It is a new humanity. And there's no distinctions between any of us. One new man in Christ Jesus. As a result, what do we do? Verse 12, so as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. The old self is gone, a new self has come. As a result, there's a new way of living that belongs to the new self. And we put away, we mortify the things that don't belong to the new us, and we put on the things that do. A new life, a new ambition, a new focus, a new identity, a new hope, a new mortification, a new self, therefore a new dress, and all of it according to a new standard. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God's peace is the standard, verse 15. We're to live our lives in such a way that we pursue peace, the things that make for peace. The peace of Christ is like an umpire that makes decisions for us. Does this accord with the peace of Christ or does it not? Let me choose that which is in agreement with his peace. And the way I know what those things are, verse 16, is the word of God is the standard. Living a scripture-saturated life, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly so that it comes out in conversation, even in our singing, in every way that we live our lives, the word of Christ is the standard. And then in verse 17, the Son of God is the standard. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in His name, in the name of Jesus. Can I say that I'm doing this in the name of Jesus? This is in keeping with who He is, with His character, with His will. This would please Him. These are the lives that we've been called to. And it's in that context that we're told, and be thankful. So this is not a thanksgiving that belongs to the old life. This is a thanksgiving that belongs to everything that is new since the Lord has saved us. In fact, there's one other new thing you see in those verses. All of those commands and all the indicatives are given to us in plural terms. And you be thankful, and the you is plural. The people of God, the company of God's people, the church is to be a thankful church. So we are people who individually have the capacity to be thankful because the Lord has saved us, but we live this thanksgiving life in company with our brothers and sisters. We're traveling this thankful pathway together. The thankful life is lived by people who belong to the church. And so one of the ways that you can measure and test whether or not you even have this capacity is, do you love the people of God? Have you taken your place among the company of God's people? Are you a member of the Lord's church, you see? Do you really have salvation? Someone who says they know Jesus, but they don't love the people of Christ is someone who is a liar. You cannot love the head and not love the body. You cannot love the Savior and not love your brothers and sisters. So right away when someone says they're a thankful person, but they have no use for the Lord's church, you know what kind of thanksgiving they have. It's not the supernatural thanksgiving of salvation. For if that's what they had, they would love the Lord's people. What this means, when you think about the capacity for thanksgiving, salvation, what this means is the character of the thanksgiving that we know is the fruit of salvation. It's something new, something we didn't have before. It's the result of what Jesus has done in our lives, we can say it this way, Christ makes thankful people. It's not automatic. God doesn't command things that we don't have choices to make about. So if he's commanded it, you and I have to make a choice. It is possible that I'm talking to someone today who really does have eternal life. All these new things really do describe you. But lately, you've not been living with a thankful heart because if you take note of all these indicatives and imperatives, what they add up to is a pursuit of sanctification. I mean, you have to be putting off the old and putting on the new. 
And if you're not aggressively doing that, if you're not pursuing Christ-likeness, then it's no wonder that you may go through seasons where your heart is not full of thanksgiving. So here are the two things for us to examine ourselves about today. If I recognize that I've not been as thankful as the Lord deserves, not as thankful as I should be, two questions to ask myself, do I really have new life in Jesus Christ? I mean, someone who's characterized by ungratefulness is someone who likely is lost. So do I have new life in Jesus Christ, but I can't stop there. Then I have to ask, am I really pursuing Christ right now according to the standards of this new life? Because I can be saved and yet disobedient in the realm of thanksgiving because my mind is not being fixed where God commands it to be fixed and my ambitions are not fixed where God commands my ambition to be fixed and I'm not dealing with sin in the way that God commands for me to deal with sin and I'm not pursuing the things, putting on the things that God commands me to put on. Perhaps this is why, though I have eternal life, I'm not really living a grateful life right now. The thankful life is an obedient life. The thankful life is a Scripture-saturated life. The thankful life is a Savior-focused life. So are you obeying the Lord where you know what His Word teaches? Are you filling your life up with the Word of God or are you getting your worldview from other sources? And are you pursuing Christ daily? Do you have your eyes fixed on your Savior? If not, then it's no wonder why you're not grateful of late. So this is the context for this command, this simple command, and be thankful. Now, second thing I want you to think about with me, the importance of it. Why does God give a command to be thankful? It's interesting, isn't it, that God would command it. In fact, some would even question whether such a command could exist. I think it's very instructive. It's a good reminder to us that we have choices to make even about our attitudes. We have choices to make, dare I say, even about our emotions. There are people who think, you know, I can't control the way I feel. And one reason we get confused about that is we think about control in a direct fashion. Like, this is what I feel this very moment. What do I do? Just turn that off and turn on some other emotion, some other attitude that's not in my heart right now? How do I do that? And what we forget is right attitudes and right emotions are the result of right choices in other areas so that the fruit is indirect, not direct. That is, if I'm being filled with the Spirit, if I'm submitting my life to the Lordship of Christ and His Word, if I'm agreeing with Scripture and putting my mind there, my attitudes and my emotions follow. The way to obey God in the realm of thanksgiving is not just to say, well, now be thankful, Richard, though I should speak that truth to my own heart. But rather, look at verses 1 through 17. Am I doing this? Because to obey the command to be thankful, this is the pathway. These are the choices that I must make. So it is right that God commands things of us that involve our attitudes and our emotions even. And he has set forth in verses like these how we actually obey him in those things. So 
God gives this command because it is important. As I said earlier, he doesn't command anything that isn't doable, that his people don't have the capacity to obey him in, and he doesn't command things that are not important. In fact, there are two great issues at stake when you think about the command to be thankful. Maybe you haven't thought about this before. If I'm not choosing thankfulness to be a thankful person, what's at stake? Two great issues at stake. Great sins and great waste. Great sins and great waste. I want to begin by thinking about the fact that if we don't have thankful hearts, we can be guilty of great sins. And what I want to do is just think about what thankfulness requires in the positive sense. And in each case, just flip it with me. Just think about the alternative. Here's what is needed to be thankful. But now if I'm not thankful, what is present instead? And I think as we go through that exercise together, you'll see that not only is there a great blessing wrapped up in being a thankful person, but there are great sins that are being committed if we're not a thankful person. What is necessary to be a thankful person? Let me give you a few things to think about. First of all, thankful hearts are humble hearts. Thankful hearts are humble hearts. Why are we thankful? Because we realize the reality of grace. I know what I deserve. I know what God would have given me if He had given me what I deserve. I would have perished forever. When Adam sinned against God, the whole human race deserved to be obliterated. And you and I were born into this world not only guilty in Adam, but then as we began to live our lives, we accrued our own guilt. We have all sinned against God. We have all fallen short of His glory. We all deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. If God gave any of us what we deserve, we would perish. We would be in hell. So if God has saved me, and given me those nine new things, those ten new things we mentioned earlier. All those new things now belong to me. What did I ever do to deserve that? It's all grace, isn't it? It's all grace. And even now, after the Lord has saved you, if you had to stand before your God this day based on your performance, how would you do? Isn't it true to say, that we live in grace every moment. We're breathing it in and breathing it out. If not for the grace of God, if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? I need grace in the course of sanctification just as much as I needed the grace of God to be justified. I need grace to be kept just as I needed grace to be taken hold of. God took hold of my life, but now I'm in His hand, in His Son's hand. He will never let me go. If left to myself, I would wander. But He holds me near to Himself. He scourges, corrects every son whom He receives, and it's love that does it. Where would I be if not for the grace of God? Which means that every benefit I've ever received is mercy. Whatever good I know, it's mercy, which is why it is right that we recognize those mercies. Humility does. What's the opposite? What's the great sin on display in an unthankful life? Pride. You either think that what you have you deserve or what you have is less than you deserve. 
People who think they deserve better than what they have are proud people. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Psalm 116 verse 12 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? What could I give to God for everything He's given me? How could I ever give a return on what He's given to me? That's the right perspective. Thankful hearts belong to humble people. And so when we lack thanksgiving, what are we walking in? We're walking in pride. Closely associated with that, second thing we mentioned, thankful hearts are appreciative hearts. Appreciative hearts. So when we think about humble hearts, the source of our blessings, whatever blessings we have, it's explained by God. It's not explained by me. It's not explained in some generic fashion, my circumstances. It's not, though I can be thankful for other people, my blessings are not ultimately explained by other people. My blessings come to me from God. That's the humble perspective. But now to say that I'm appreciative means I recognize not just the source of those blessings, but the specifics of those blessings. I'm taking each one and paying attention to it. I'm mindful, as we just read from the Psalms, all his benefits, all his benefits. I bless his name for those benefits. I give him praise for those benefits. I realize I can't return, give a return, a rightful, fitting return for all of his benefits to me. So I'm not just recognizing God as the source, but recognizing the overwhelming nature of what he gives to me. The opposite of this is presumption, presuming on the gifts of God, thinking that you get what you deserve or you should have more. You expect it, in other words. You expect what you have. You're not appreciative. You were counting on it. Think about the difference between someone. Think about it in the human realm. Someone gives you a gift that you did not expect, and it's extremely generous How do you respond to that internally versus someone gives you your paycheck? You worked for that. You earned that. What if they short you on your paycheck? Do you notice that? Well, I'm just so glad he gave me what he gave me, right? That's the response. No, the response is, hey, I worked this many hours. This is what I did. I'm not getting enough because your attitude is you deserve it. You earned it. You expect it. But a gift is something that you are grateful for. You're appreciative of it. You never thought it was coming your way, and here it is. Well, now think about your life and the blessings that God pours out upon you. Is this something you've earned, something you deserve, something you expect, or something you truly appreciate? Presumption is an ugly sin. Do you know any presumptuous people? You ever known someone you do something extremely generous for them and they act like it's nothing? Can I tell you the sad truth? Sometimes we are all those presumptuous people. God does amazing things in our case that we deserve just the opposite, and yet we are not really even taking note of it. Don't even notice it. What are you taking for granted today? What are you taking for granted? Third, thankful hearts are peaceful hearts. 
peaceful hearts. Interesting that in the same context we're commanded to be thankful, we're also told in verse 15 to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Peaceful hearts. You remember how the book of James explains conflict? The wars that exist among us? It's because we want things and we war for those things. The Spirit of God through James tells us you have not because you ask not. You're fighting as if it all depends on you. You're trying to accumulate and get what you want and what you think you deserve because you're not content. People who are truly thankful people are content people because you know you don't deserve better than you're thankful for what you have and you don't require more to be thankful. If what you have is better than you deserve, then what you have is enough. But the reason people fight is because they don't think they have what they deserve. People don't forgive because they feel like they've been slighted what they deserve. I'm not going to forgive you because I deserve better than you're giving me. People bitter because someone has treated you in a way you think you didn't deserve. You're frustrated because you're not getting what you think you deserve. The thankful life is not the narcissistic life. The thankful life is not the life full of bitterness and fighting and conflict and constantly being upset, constantly being frustrated. That is not a thankful heart. When you are content with God, when you realize He is your treasure, then you recognize you are infinitely rich regardless of your earthly circumstances. In fact, in the same context we're told to be content, our God tells us, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm there always, and I'm always enough. So that you and I can know peace regardless of our circumstances. Do you know about that kind of life? The Apostle Paul said when he had a lot, he knew what it was to be content. When he had little, he knew what it was to be content. In all circumstances, he knew what it was to find his joy in God, to find his contentment in the Lord. And so the opposite of that is the sin of discontentment, the sin of pride, the sin of presumption, the sin of discontentment, where thankfulness does not exist. Four, thankful hearts are enlightened hearts. Enlightened, we've talked about it already, but I want to underscore it. Enlightened with the knowledge of God's love to us. See, the way we're content is we believe God loves us. He's sovereign. He's in control over every detail of our lives. There's nothing coming our way that God doesn't have sovereignty over. So that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, there's a plan, there's a purpose that stands behind what we're facing. And when our hearts and minds have been enlightened by the knowledge of God's grace to us in Christ, His love for us in Christ, then we know there is perfect wisdom and goodness and love regulating every detail of what it is we're going through. So that no matter what it is we're going through, we can be thankful. Not necessarily thankful for the thing itself. We live in a fallen world. There are hurtful, hateful things we deal with in this world so it's not thankfulness for the thing itself, but thankfulness toward God that despite this thing, despite this issue, despite this treatment, whatever the case may be, 
God, you are good and you are sovereign and you love me and none of this is by accident. This is by design and you're training me, preparing me for eternity. In that I can rest. In that I can be thankful. This is why you can read a book like the book of Philippians and it's full of references to joy and Paul is writing that letter from a prison. And so when we're unthankful, we live as though God isn't isn't present, isn't sovereign, isn't good, isn't loving, isn't wise. Interesting to me. I thought about it this week. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's an odd contrast, isn't it? I mean, I would think, just in my own wisdom, which is completely lacking, I would have thought it would say something like this, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be purity. But he says, let there be thanksgiving. Why do you think that is? Well, because thanksgiving exists where there is purity, where there's the knowledge of forgiveness of these sins that once characterized us. We have a new life. And there's a gratefulness that I've been forgiven and I've been set free. I don't want to live in those things anymore. What I once talked about, I don't want to talk about that sort of thing anymore. What I once joked about is not to be joked about. It's impure. This is the kind of life where Thanksgiving exists, a life that's been transformed. Say it another way, Thanksgiving exists by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and empowering and in charge then sins are being put away and holy things are being put on. Douglas Moo commenting on what Thanksgiving really is. He says, believers who are full of gratitude to God for His gracious calling will find it easier to extend to fellow believers the grace of love and forgiveness and to put aside petty issues that might inhibit the expression of peace in the community. If you choose this holy life, this pure life, a life that celebrates forgiveness and the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it's going to allow you to absorb the offenses of other people. If God has forgiven you so much, who are you to hold another human being by the lapels and say, you've got to pay me up every cent? Look what God has forgiven you of. Swift to forgive, swift to absorb injury without complaint. Gracious people because you've known the grace of God. So thankful hearts are humble hearts. They are appreciative hearts. They are peaceful hearts. They are enlightened hearts. You can also describe it this way. Thankful hearts are worshipful hearts. When you get the source of your blessings right, you'll get the praise right. We know the wisdom, as I said earlier, of the one who oversees our lives. So we give him praise and thanks. What is idolatry? It is treating the creature as if he is the creator. I'm thankful for the people in my life. I thank God for the people in my life. I'm thankful for what I have. I thank God for what I have. You hear people full of grumbling and complaining. I work hard. This is what I do. Look at what I do to provide for us. Look at what I do to provide for myself. Look at what I do to provide for you. What a darkened point of view. 
Who gave you what you have? I work hard. Who gave you your strength? Who gave you your mind? Who gave you your talents? Who gave you your next heartbeat? Who gave you your next breath? You've done nothing for yourself. If God withdrew his support, you would go out of existence. You do nothing for yourself. And when you get the source right, you'll get the praise right, which will mean you'll get the worship right. The life of idolatry is putting yourself in the place of God. Who is worthy to be worshipped? It's not you. It's not me. It's the one who gives us life and breath and our very being. God is the only one worthy to be worshipped. And when we're that kind of people, then we worship Him in all circumstances. Think about Job. Everything stripped away from him in a moment. And coming out of that man, you know, squeeze like an orange. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. And you squeeze a believer, even though a believer may struggle, at the core is something God has done. And only God could have done it. And there is Job squeezed to the very kernel of his existence. And what does he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Listen to this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Does the will of God matter to us? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To give thanks in all circumstances. So without thankful hearts, we can be guilty of great sins. The sin of pride, the sin of presumption, the sin of a striving that produces conflict and bitterness and unforgiveness, the sin of blindness to the grace of God and the goodness of God and the wisdom of God, the sin of self-worship, the sin of idolatry. But we can also be guilty of great waste. Nothing is as wasteful as sin. And you live your life in an unthankful, sinful condition, and you are wasting things that you might not even recognize until, in some cases, it's too late. Throwing away precious things through your self-centered focus. What do people waste when they're living ungrateful lives? Well, they waste their own life. We can start there. You just waste your own life. When you recognize that your life is a gift from God, then you also recognize it's to be invested. How do I spend this life? How do I make sure I don't waste it? What did God make me for? Why did he put me here? Why am I still drawing air? Why am I not already in eternity? And the answer is, you and I were made to live for the glory of God. To invest our lives in him. To spend our lives 
on behalf of him, therefore, on behalf of others, on behalf of his kingdom, on behalf of his word, the gospel, on behalf of his son, the savior, any other kind of living is wasteful. Are you wasting your life or are you making the best of your life? As I said, we can only stand before God in his grace. I've wasted lots of my life. Have you? Take any given day. There's some waste involved in all likelihood. So we stand before God in his grace, but now I don't want to use his grace as an excuse for sin. I want to make the most of the grace of God. And so let me make sure that I'm investing my life properly. Show me someone living for the glory of God. I'll show you someone with a thankful heart. Show me someone with an unthankful heart. I'll show you someone who's not living at that moment for the glory of God. They've got themselves too much at the center of the picture. Wasteful with respect to other people's lives. Every life is a gift from God, which means every life is to be cherished. You want to see an ungrateful society? Look at a society that murders millions of babies in the womb every year. Neither were they thankful. They didn't give God glory, and they weren't thankful. That's what the book of Romans says, describing such a people. But how about the person you're married to? Are you thankful for them? Do you count them to be a gift from God? You don't know the person I'm married to, someone might say. You don't know the struggles I have. Listen, if, you, if you're living with a beast... You have a precious opportunity given to you by God to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And they have a soul that's going to enter heaven or hell. So thank God you have the opportunity to be an evangelist. If if the person you're married to is a believer and they're not where they need to be, pray for them. You have the privilege to pray for them and to live a witness before them. But if God has been so kind as to give you someone who loves the Lord together with you, serves the Lord together with you, celebrates God's good gifts to you together with you, oh, what a gift he's given you. What praise ought to be in our hearts every day for that person God has given us to share life with. What about your children? And now at my stage of life, what about your grandchildren? Or my mother's stage of life. What about your great-grandchildren? What a gift that the Lord has given us years to see our children and our children's children. And in some cases, our children's children's children. What a gift of the grace of God. Are we grateful for these things? How many people are wasting precious relationships, precious relationship opportunities Because your eyes are fixed on yourself. And you're not thankful as you should be for the people God has put in your life. Two great sins characterize our culture right now that reflect that kind of ungratefulness. Adultery and pornography. Are you grateful for the person God has given you as your your wife, dear sir? then be faithful to her mentally and physically. Grateful for your husband. Stop thinking about this open door of getting out of the relationship. 
God has put you there. I know there are biblical reasons for divorce. There are. But until we meet with that, the Bible is very clear about what those are. Until we meet with that, you are in a covenant relationship. You've made vows to God and to each other. Close that door that says you can escape what is difficult for you right now and say, I want to glorify God in the way I love this person. I want to reflect Christ in the way I love this person. Let me spend and be spent in loving this person. Live your life like that and you'll glorify the living God and you'll know a thankful heart. Get your eyes off of yourself. You have a new life, a new hope, a new ambition, a new focus. Put your mind there. Wasteful with respect to material things. Why has God given you what you have? Yes, He gives us all things richly to enjoy. It is not God's plan that His people divest themselves of all wealth. But if the Lord has blessed you materially, how can you invest that in His kingdom? Selfish people, unthankful people never have enough. They always want more to spend on themselves. Are we looking at the resources God has given us and saying, how can I make an eternal difference with this? Wasteful with respect to gospel ministry. That unthankful life is an earthbound life. And so when you're living with yourself at the center of the focus, you're not thinking about other people, not thinking about their souls, not thinking about eternity. How many evangelism opportunities, how many, how many opportunities to encourage the people of God are we missing because we're so wrapped up in that unthankful life of self-centeredness? Is this an important command? And be thankful. It's important because where it's not being obeyed, you have great sins being committed. And where it's not being obeyed, you have great waste that's being experienced. So how can I live a thankful life? I think we've said it, just reiterate it. Take these 17, take the context. Live, instead of trying to, to address it directly, I mean, you can repent of the sin directly, but then live in these 17 verses and allow the Lord to teach you a, a worldview that produces thankful hearts. But the Puritan Richard Sibbs he lived 1577 to 1635. He had this to say. I thought it was very helpful. We'll finish with this. He said, If we be less than the least, then we must be thankful for the least. Humility is always thankful. A humble man thinks himself unworthy of anything. Therefore, he is thankful for anything. A proud man praises himself above the common rate. He overvalues and overprizes himself. And therefore, he thinks he never has enough. When he has a great deal, he thinks he has less than he deserves. And therefore, he is an unthankful person. And that makes a proud man so intolerable to God. He is always an unthankful person, a murmuring person. A humble man, because he undervalues himself, he thinks he has more than he deserves. And he's thankful for everything. 
He knows he deserves nothing of himself. It is the mere goodness of God, whatever he has. The best direction to thanksgiving is to have a humble and low heart. Therefore, David, 1 Chronicles 29, 14, when he would exercise his heart to thankfulness, when the people had given liberally, he said, Who am I or what is this people that we should be able to offer willingly after this manner? Everything comes from you. And all that is yours we give. What am I or what is this people that we should have hearts to give liberally to the temple? See how he abases himself? And Abraham, I am dust and ashes. Shall I speak to my Lord? Genesis eighteen twenty seven. And Job, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. Job 42, 6. When he considered God's excellency in his own baseness. A humble heart is always thankful. And the way to thankfulness is to consider our humility. What am I, said David? He had a heart to be thankful. Of your own I give you, not only the matter to be thankful for, but of thine own I give thee. When I give thee thanks, thou givest me a thankful heart. Let me just stop there. What Sibs is saying is, not only do we give God thanks for that for which we give thanks, but we give God thanks for the thanks that we give because He produces that thankful heart. He goes on to say this, as the sacrifice that Abraham offered was found by God, so God must find the sacrifice that we offer. Even a thankful heart of your own, Lord, I give you, even when I give thanks. Therefore, you may make that a means to have a thankful heart, to pray for a thankful heart. And when we have it, Bless God for it, that we may be more thankful. So brothers and sisters, I say, along with Richard Sibbs, this is a means that you can choose to have a thankful heart. Pray for it. God, humble my heart that I would really recognize your blessings to me, that I would take note of all your benefits to me, and then grant me such a heart that I would give you thanks, and then when you give him thanks... Give him thanks even for your thanks, that he might bless you even more. The church would say, let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for producing a thankful people through salvation. We once were blind and dead, not acknowledging you, ungrateful, unholy not giving thanks, and you rescued us, delivered us, gave us the forgiveness of our sins by the blood of your Son, clothed us in his perfect righteousness, stationed us in your grace, made us new creations in our very hearts, took away the the stone heart that we had and granted to us a heart of flesh so that now we can see and we care Lord, may we repent this day in dust and ashes of our ungratefulness, our complaining, our murmuring. And may we embrace every good gift as the good gift that it is. And may we give you thanks for all of your benefits to us. And when we do, 
give you thanks for our thanks. A wretched, miserable, hell-deserving people we were, but you have made us new with new life, new ambitions, new hope. Everything is new, including our capacity to give you thanks. We give you praise for this. In Jesus' name, amen.